it's amazing for our customers who come on board, you know, especially the, our earliest customers who came on board three years ago and the product is so different. And just to think, you know, where are we going to be six months from now, 12 months from now? I can't even imagine what the product, it changes so much. And it's, it's one of the best things about being in early stage. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Today I have Kalmana. He's the COO and co-founder at Pico. Welcome to the show. Phil, thank you. Glad to be here. The first question that I like to ask our guests it is, what problem does your product solve? It's a good question, right? <laughs> uh, and a lot of times this is difficult for founders, I think, to do in, in one, two sentences. But we help, we enable sales teams to sell more by helping them capture and share key moments from their meetings. We also unlock the siloed nature of these sales calls to the rest of the organization. So we give insight, marketing insight into sales calls and customer success, product operations. Ultimately, we want to have the entire organization in Pickle looking at uh, meetings, customer facing meetings, and then also internal meetings, but be able to share all of this information disseminate throughout the organization. And how exactly do you guys do that? Like what, what kind of like, how does the Pico software work? Yeah, so we're, one, we're recording meetings, right? So we record meetings, transcribe, have a really high quality, accurate transcript, but also using artificial intelligence and machine learning to track topics and questions. We want people to also take notes on their meetings. So we tie notes back to meetings and make all of this searchable. So you can go back and you can find topics and you can find meetings. If you're looking at a specific call, you can see the notes that were taken and you can see all of the notes that take we take are timestamped, right? So they're timestamped to specific parts of the meeting so you can get perfect context. And then, you know, we also want to push this back to CRM. So we're pushing Salesforce and HubSpot, eventually other task and project managers as well, right? To uh, get this information where people are living and, uh, and make it really easy to share and collaborate on. That's pretty cool. So... Let's talk a little bit before the company start. What's your background and what were you doing before you start this company? I come from a sales background. So Silicon Slopes, a lot of uh, local tech companies. And I worked at a few San Francisco-based startups as well. Account executive and enterprise sales roles. And I think it's actually interesting where I don't see many salespeople becoming founders. I think it's mostly product Sometimes operations folks, you know, and then of course you need technical founders, especially in SaaS. But uh, atypical, I think, where I went sales to founder. But but that's good because usually people are going to build a product and they're like, oh shit, how do we sell this? <laughs> yeah, we went. Uh, we've uh, networked with a lot of Silicon Valley founders and mm-hmm. some of the smartest people, right? And uh, mm-hmm. extremely technical. And a lot of people think if you build it, they will come. They, hey, we're just going to build a great, especially first time founders, right? <laughs> first time founders focus heavily on product. And I think we fall in the same category where we've really <laughs> built product, 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 product. Uh, and you think, hey, if I just build an amazing product, 
go to market is going to take care of itself. It's not the case, right? Uh, yeah. You have to be able to sell. You have to. There's product market fit. There's uh, product uh, go to market fit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're gonna share, talk a lot about that later on the show. So, tell me how you guys come up with the idea to build this. When we first started, it was initially we started early 2020. We started March 2020. We started March 9th, 2020, which is like COVID day zero. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the official start of COVID is, but it was like right there, March 9th or March 10th. But when we first started, it was based off of the the line that everybody's heard. When you call into a call center, like if you're going to call Delta support or Comcast, and it's this call may be monitored and recorded for quality and training purposes, or this call may be monitored and recorded for legal purposes, right? So... It was, we were thinking about that line, Birch and I, uh, my co-founder, we wanted to start a company. We wanted to, uh, to build something. And we started to research into those uh, types of calls. And, you know, we knew there had to be massive amounts of volume on those call centers. They're recorded, but are they really being used? Realized, hey, the best, even the best organizations are reviewing like 2%, one and a half, those meetings. So we started, uh, the company thinking about how can we unlock the, the black box of the rest of those calls? How can we make the customer experience much better? There's you know, got to be valuable insights and questions and pain points and topics in those meetings. How can we easily extract those? Uh, with the, pan- the onset of the pandemic, we quickly, not really pivoted, right, but started to focus more on Zoom conversation. I think this was more fall to end of 2020. We had been running for a mm-hmm. while on these MP3 uh, kind mm-hmm. of uh, phone conversations, uh, but started to focus more on longer form, you know, 30, 45 minute Zoom conversations. A lot of that was driven by our own need as well, just like kind of sort of the rest of the world mm-hmm. back to back Zoom meetings. We're on back to back Zoom meetings. We're trying to take notes. <laughs> we're trying, trying to get information from our customers back to Birch, who oversees more of the product and the technical side of Pickle and trying to remember things, trying to run a good sales process. and uh, naturally started to focus more on these Zoom conversations. And that's where we've really started to grow since then. That's cool. And how, tell me about like funding. Like I imagine you say you're a first time founder. So you had to leave your job to start this business, you and your co-founder. And, and how was that decision making? And how did you guys fund this company to, to start? Yeah, growing? we were all in from the beginning. So maybe atypical uh, on that end. It, it sort of wasn't a side hustle grow into something big. We said, hey, we're all in from the beginning. We both quit our jobs, start new. We even, we both have young kids. So we even got office space right from the beginning and said, <laughs> hey, we're going to get in on this office space together. It's just you and I. And that was self-funded. It was ourselves right in the beginning. And then we did get an early investor that is both in both of our networks to invest a little bit of money just for us to get off the ground initially. And we started in March, like I said, we raised a, a friends and family round in September mm-hmm. of that year. Well, one, we got revenue fairly fast. Nice. So we we built an MVP and really built a PDF deck of like what the product would be and started to sell <laughs> and, get, and get money. And we figured from the very beginning, you know, we started in March and we had our first customer in March. Like this is even pre product. Whoa. Hey, if people will pay us for this, then, you know, we're on the right track. If people aren't going to pay us, we got to keep iterating. We got to figure it out. So we got revenue really fast. That was really helpful. We got actually to to about 10K MRR pretty quickly. 
So that was, that helped a lot, but we did raise the friends and family round. We raised about 400 K, a little over 400 K September of that year. Uh, and then we had some decisions to make if we were going to go raise VC money, if we were going to mm-hmm. go that route, if we were going to run off of the friends and family, try to get profitable or, you know, get really profitable, grow it and profitable enough to build a, build a team. And so, you know, we're looking at those different avenues. We started to look at startup accelerators and incubators as first time founders. We felt like there was a lot to learn. Uh, we felt like we needed a little more credibility also with VCs, right? Mm-hmm. In Utah, there's a, a strong VC network and there's a huge VC network. You know, you go to San Francisco and Silicon Valley, but it was all new to us. So we started looking at accelerators. We figured if we we're going to do an accelerator, it had to be Y Combinator, 500 startups or tech stars, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of premiere. We also have applied to a few others. There's uh, Launch Accelerator, Jason Calacanis and, and mm-hmm. some of the others and ended up getting into Y Combinator. So Y Combinator invests some money, right? They also help with mm-hmm. a lot of coaching and, and, the network effect is is huge. So got into YC, uh, went through Y Combinator winter 2021, so January to March of 2021. Coming out of that, we raised a seed round, about a, a little over $2 million of seed. So basically funding today, we raised $2.5 million. Check was 2021. So let's, let's take a step back. You talk about making the decision. Do I go the VC route or do I go the bootstrap route? And so why do you guys decide to go the VC route? And, and how was the process of like making the decision? I worked at Podium right when they raised Series A. And they were fairly large, I think, from a headcount perspective. When they raised Series A, you know, I was like employee 100 or something like that. But uh, Podium was one of the early Utah Y Combinator companies. Mm-hmm. So I always thought really highly of YC uh, and that experience and sort of the network. After Podium, I worked at a San Francisco-based startup called EasyPost, who's also a Y Combinator company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, I sort of always had an affinity to YC and, and that route. So that sort of had, it was, it's always sort of been a dream to go through YC, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of that, we felt like the, there's a huge opportunity and it's, and we needed to be able to capitalize on the opportunity, go to market really quickly, grow big. So I don't think we actually dwelled on it too much. You know, we, we thought, hey, we're going to run with just us and, and bootstrap, get really profitable. Uh, we need to hire a little more help. Like we needed a, a real CTO, and a few engineers. So anyways, decided to at least apply. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something you can do. You can, I think the process is actually really good to just apply to Y Combinator and some of these other accelerators uh, because, you know, you're going to be forced to write down what you do in 50 characters or less, which is very mm-hmm. hard actually. Uh, and you're going to be, able, you're going to have to talk through in detail who your customer is and what the problem is, right. And, and what the market looks like. So it's, it's a, just a good practice in general, I think to, to do that. But there wasn't too much thought that went into, Hey, at least let's, let's apply. Good chance we don't get in. If we don't get in, it's not the end of the world. It's not like a, you know, not the only way to be successful, but we applied. We got into a few other accelerators. We got into Launch Accelerator and some others. Uh, we had an interview with YC. The fact that we had strong early revenue really quickly um, mm-hmm. helped a lot. But somehow, I guess uh, Birch and I, first-time founders, both not super technical, honestly, mm-hmm. somehow got in, and the the rest is history. You say that having the revenue 
from early on made the difference. And it looks like that basically being from the sales background, you didn't start by building a software. You start by building a sales deck. This is what we're going to sell. And then you build a software later. It's that how, how you did this? Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we got in Figma and, uh, you know, started to mock up some designs and what this would look like and what the functionality looks like and why this is important. Build a deck, like you said, but technically we didn't actually like go out and build a whole deck, but we just got some screenshots and we got some PDFs together and we got a few resources and started doing discovery meetings and selling and, and seeing if, uh, we can get commitment. People are going to pay for this. And so you're to, telling to, people you're going to pay now. I'll give you the software in three months, six months, how, how you're doing the sales. Yeah. You're going to pay. You're going to pay now. Here's where we are today. We've got this much of the product, but we don't integrate with your phone system and we don't integrate with these other systems, but you're going to pay us now and give us a, uh, give us four to six weeks to get the rest connected. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great strategy. Yeah. So, so walk me through like the process of, of building the first version of your product and how long did it took to actually have a, user using like your product? Uh, it was about four weeks uh, before we had our first user. Uh, so we, we started the company early March. We, well, it was about four weeks after we signed our first customer. And we signed our first customer, I think it was towards the end of that month. So we started the company in March, started to build. Birch is fairly technical, but he's not a true engineer, but knows enough to be able to cobble together the the first frameworks and what the product how that product would act and feel. We used a little bit of freelance help as well, mm-hmm. sort of accelerate yes. that. But anyways, we started the company early March, signed our first customer towards the end of that month. So just a couple of weeks later, and they were in the platform in April, maybe four weeks after that. And uh, mm-hmm. at the same time, we're, looking, we're probably onboarding our second customer around then. And, and by the time, let's see, by the time we had, were starting to raise our friends and family round, and apply to Y Combinator. So we raised friends and family in September. We applied to Y Combinator in October. We had uh, 10 or 11 customers, 10K MRR. Um, That's awesome. How do you guys attract and retain your first few customers? Walking to like the first strategy and trying to find like the, the first go-to-market plan that worked for you guys. Yeah, uh, because I come from sales and I'm comfortable with outbound and cold and prospecting, right? So emails and cold calls, Primarily, I uh, did a lot of that, especially in the beginning. Uh, but a lot of those early customers also came from network. But I don't know if we, you know, maybe we did have a strong network, but it, it came down to more like, hey, open your phone, Birch, open my phone, Kalmana. And we had one Birch's best friend from high school who's still working with us, Taylor. He heads up everything content and marketing today. He came on board really early. So as the three of us, and you talk about remote, he's in Kentucky, but we had an iPad and we put it on this medical stand that you can roll mm-hmm. around, still have <laughs> interact. So, and he would FaceTime in the morning and he would just stay on the iPad all day long. So he's, you know, got his iPad on his desk and he's working on the computer and we're talking and workshopping and, you know, we're, we're working and talking and working and talking. Really felt like he was here from day one in the office with us. But it was, hey, pull out your phones and start calling everybody, you know, it's like, Every family member, every friend, every person you've ever interacted with, they pull up LinkedIn and start talking to every single person we know. Uh, and that's where a lot of the 
a lot of the customers came from. <laughs> maybe it's those people, or maybe they introduced us to somebody else, or sort of that type of network effect. But that those are where the first customers really came from. That's awesome. And, and how did it develop? Do you guys stay sales led? Do you try to change the product led? How your like engine to to bring customer develop over like the three years that you guys are, are running this company for? Sales led. We will build. We will sort of introduce a product-led model and some self-serve, but that's still TBD. Uh, It's not live even today. So we've been alive for three years, been sales-led from the beginning, sales-led today. Uh, We we don't have a large sales team, though. At this point, we've only hired one salesperson, uh, junior, full cycle, you know, setting his own meetings, running, running the process from A to Z. And Taylor, that first employee, is head of marketing, and he's... He's not buying any ads or doing any PPC, but he does a ton of content. So a lot of our buyers are on LinkedIn. So he's posting on LinkedIn every day, doing a blog post a week. Taylor and Junior run a podcast and they're kicking out an episode a week. There's in like the 40s of episodes at this point. So we're generating content, working on SEO, driving people to uh, us on LinkedIn, driving to the website and getting inbound that way outside of that. And then... Junior and I are running those meetings, running those mm-hmm. demos and running that process. And then we're also still outbounding with whatever time we have left. And when we first hired Junior, Junior's been with us for two years. It was heavy outbound. Majority of opportunities are outbound generated. Uh, now it's closer to 50-50, maybe even mm-hmm. skewed towards the inbound content generated MQLs. But there's still a heavy outbound. So a lot of our, our best deals have come from cold calls. That's awesome. So, so what's your take on that strategy? Why do you think that's a solid strategy to to take your company to, to market, like staying sales-led and, and doing outbound? Why do you think are like the biggest benefits of going this route? Because we have like a lot of talk around product-led today, but most founders that come to this show is still what works and what I have been seeing people do is the, is the sales-led, the founder-led sale, and like the outbound, but like, what's kind of like your take on why that's a good strategy and why it worked for you guys? That's the only thing that I knew when we first started, <laughs> right? So coming from a sales background, I, you know, was an SDR at Podium and account executive at a company called Peak and Easy Post, et cetera. Uh, so I only knew sales led. I ne- I'd never worked at a product led company prior. So I didn't even thought of that. I, I, you know, over the past three years, I've learned a ton, learned so much more about product and go to market strategies and growth channels. But in the beginning, that's the only thing I knew was pick up the phone, you know, uh, let's get some lead list together. Let's get some contact data. Uh, let's look to set up some campaigns. And in the beginning, you know, it's not even campaigns. It's just say, hey, just dial this list and call everybody once a day. But that's the only thing that I knew and it worked, right? And it still works today. I do think we are interested in introducing a PLG channel, but it will never do away with a, a you know having a a sales team and doing outbound. I think it's actually really fun for us as well because we're mostly selling to sales teams. We're selling mm-hmm. to VPs of sales and mostly B two B SaaS you know account executive teams who are also typically doing their own outbound prospecting, etc. So. It's fun to prospect into those companies as well. There's a an interesting dynamic with that. Yeah, probably they're like, oh, this is a good outbound message. I'm going to respond to it. Or this is bad because it's kind of like they do that the whole day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get uh, 
there's more satisfaction with, you know, really having some good outreach, creating a really great experience for a VP of sales or sales manager, or even, you know, sometimes we work up from the rep level. So creating really great experiences and relationships and providing value via mostly LinkedIn for account executives being able to to work up the organization that way it's uh, i think there's an interesting dynamic for to sell to salespeople. yeah and, and i think a great insight here too is like you stick to what you knew it wasn't about doing maybe what's hot or like let's go figure this out and make something different this is what i know and, and that's what you did and that's what worked for you guys sometimes you're always chasing the next shine object and we don't do just what we know and, and what's going to work Right. And another thing, I was looking at this case study, and it's kind of funny. So Slack, it's the company that made SalesLad super popular. Microsoft actually made Teams a lot bigger in revenue following a full SalesLad enterprise approach. So they both work, but you have to decide. You know, I, I think it's a good idea to to have both. And I agree with you. I, I really like the starting. And I also, I think you get the opportunity to test your messaging. It is you get opportunity to talk to people. And as you kind of get a better messaging, you can then get the message into your inbound and go from there. That that being said, talk to me about product market fit. How hard was to get the product market fit for you guys? Oh, I, I varying definitions on product market fit, right? I don't know if we actually feel like we have incredible product market fit. Uh, you know, we're growing. We have really good revenue. There's uh, the space is getting crowded. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot companies big and small the various price points etc but it's uh, it's tough right zero to one million is is a wild journey uh founder-led sales is important uh being able to figure out exactly what people want and you know that's the yc logan right Their slogan is make something people want uh is surprisingly difficult uh <laughs> it's hard it's hard to explain right how difficult that is there's a a lot of things work and a lot of things aren't working at any given time. Uh, there's, you know, at Podium, they say macro optimism, micro pessimism. So mm-hmm. at a macro level, you stand back, you're looking, everything's amazing. And even, <laughs> you know, we see this today. It's, it's incredible how far we've come, but you dive in really deep. There's so many things that are broken. So many things we can do, be doing better and so many problems to figure out. So I don't know. I don't know if we're, you know, some people will say, the analogy for product market fit is you're pushing this free PMF, you're pushing this boulder up the hill. And, you know, mm-hmm. every day you're pushing, pushing, pushing. If you stop pushing for a day, it's coming back down on you and you're losing ground. <laughs> pushing. When you achieve product market fit, you kind of crest this hill and then you're chasing the boulder down the hill and you just you can't even keep up. And you're trying to, you know, you got to bring people on and our model go raise, raise money, right, to bring people on so that you can keep up with this thing. I don't know if we're, you know, just honestly chasing this boulder down the hill, but we're doing a good job of pushing it up the hill. <laughs> make, make, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. So what's kind of like the first oh shit moment that comes to mind from your journey as a SaaS founder? Okay. <laughs> like tough time? Tough moment? Or Yeah, you can do a good oh shit moment, a bad oh shit moment, so you, or one of each. <laughs> uh, well, there's a... Birch and I joke sometimes, you know, if there was this Forbes top 10 ways for startups to die, we probably experienced all 10 already. And, you know, maybe majority of startups that are three, four years old and, you know, seed stage are feeling similar. You feel sort of, you know, you get beat up in a lot of different ways, but you also have super big wins uh, in a lot of different ways. 
there were times early on, you know, when we basically had no money in the bank account, uh, you know, and, you know, we went on to raise a little bit, a little bit of money. But before that, you know, it's like, are we going to be able to pay ourselves right now? We still had paychecks and we took some money and we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we put health care in place and right. And we, we have families and kids. So, you know, we're, we're trying to figure that out. I don't know the lo- the bank balance, you know, got to like a couple thousand dollars and, you know, mm-hmm. we all, we had one employee at this, we had Taylor at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we actually had real payroll and, you know, so mm-hmm. kind yeah. of crazy times, you know, you got to figure things out. We raised the money. Uh, we got into YC and uh, I think things smoothed out a bit there from a finance perspective, but um Still crazy all around, and you know different dynamics to manage. Uh, I'm trying to think. That was like a you know uh, definitely a crazy time. I remember we kind of staying on that topic. There was one time we went to Top Golf mm-hmm. on a weekend. Top Golf, we're in Utah. There's Top Golf mm-hmm. in Murray, right? We went to Top Golf. Yeah. It was super expensive because we sat there for like four or five hours. They charge by the hour, right? <laughs> sat there for forever, and we were kind of just down on our luck a bit, like. What are we going to do? You know, there's so many things, so many problems. You, know, you start we're just kind of feeling just bad for ourselves a little mm-hmm. bit. There was like a therapy session between Birch and I getting <laughs> golf balls for hours and hours. At the end, we have to pay this like $200 bill. Or it's like, gosh. But we come out of that. We're feeling a little better. We're feeling optimistic again. You know, remember our customers. And remember everybody that uh, that believes in us. And, you know, we're we're not going to give up that easy. So. I think I have a lot, of, a lot of those moments as founders, right? Like, oh my gosh, is this going to just crash and burn? And yeah. it, it is hard to get over those those moments and they keep happening. And it's funny because... They, do, they keep happening, right? It's like they never, they never stop happening. Yeah, it's funny because like, I, I used to think we would go out of business all the time when we were much smaller. And then I, I would go home and stress my wife. And now I'm like, we're going to go out of business. And she's like, you're crazy. No, we're not going to go out of business. Our business is a lot bigger now. It's very unlikely. And then, but I still have that worry. What if I'll disappear tomorrow? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because I, I don't know if that ever goes away because like we grew to a hundred people and still I'm, sometimes I'm driving home. I'm like, what if everyone leaves? <laughs> Crazier things have happened, right? so, but it's irrational probably. And I have to remind myself, I actually think I'm fairly good at this in the moment, realizing, hey, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. Trying to stay even keel is yeah. important. You've got to be, anyways, I don't know. I'm I'm not perfect at any of this, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of irrationality. And maybe, you know, you sort of have to be irrational and eccentric as a founder, for sure. But you just worry yeah. about stuff all the time. Yeah, but I, do, but I do have to learn to, to kind of navigate those ups and and those downs and a lot that affect you so much. And I think that's why second and third time founders like have an easier time raising money and have an easier time doing stuff because they already built that tough skin. And for yeah. you as first founder, I'm sure that was pretty hard. Definitely. But it does help to have a, a great co-founder, right? To be a solo co-founder is difficult. I've never been a solo co-founder. I'm a first time mm-hmm. founder and I have a great, mm-hmm. but that has made a huge difference for us, right? When I'm low, Birch can help me. When Birch is uh, is down, I can help him, and we complement each other in a lot of different ways in that aspect. And at this point, you know, we're still small; we're ten person, mm-hmm. but we've got a, a, a phenomenal team, and we all work together. And and 
you know, we've got people to lean on, people to help, collaboration, mm-hmm. pick up the slack when needed, take a vacation when you, yeah. you want, you know, if you, my wife and son and I went on a cruise a couple months ago. It's, you know, That's... a lot of founders don't do stuff like that. Uh, Birch went to London as well. So anyways, we have a team to, to support each other now. Could you yeah. share like a very smart decision that you made in the early days of your company? Ooh, I had to be selling from day one. So from day one, we were having sales conversations. You know, this is, we are writing the very first lines of code and having sales conversations at the same time. And they're not, they weren't product feedback or like, uh, yeah, they weren't product interviews. They were sales conversations, right? They were, hey, we are selling to you. We want you to pay us conversations. Yeah, like you didn't know that was hard, so just go and do it. Mm-hmm. How about like a, a very bad decision, like a mistake that you made in the early days? We learned a lot from from a lot of this, but our first 10 customers were so different. There were, you know, different problems, different use cases, different integrations. We we had uh, two RV dealerships. We had an HVAC solar company. Uh, we had a state senator in Indiana, a politician, mm-hmm. right? There were, there's like pest control companies. So there were all of these different companies with similar use cases, similar problem, but different, right? So when we're trying to build product, if we're building features, a lot of times it was only building for one customer. It wasn't building for, you know, when we had 10 customers, we're mm-hmm. building for one. It doesn't, that feature doesn't help the rest. We're building there's like millions of phone systems, right? <laughs> so it, every, each person had a different phone system. So we have to build a different integration for each customer and then try to maintain that. And we don't have a real engineering team, right? <laughs> or like we're all bandwidth here. So that's difficult. Uh, and, you know, this contribute a lot to, hey, let's focus on Zoom. Let's focus on video calls. Let's not try to build every integration in the world. We'll just build a really, really great, smooth, uh, stable, robust Zoom integration. But we definitely had to get to that point before we made that decision, get to this point where, you know, we were spending so much time maintaining integrations and fixing things that were breaking and we could no longer, you know, it wasn't scalable at all. So I don't know if it's a dumb decision because there is some some good in doing things that don't scale. Mm-hmm. But we had to learn that firsthand for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good lesson for sure. Like, because you have to build a product that to the right ICP that's going to love your product. And I think that's so common and it's so hard because in the early days, it's about getting money, right? You have this company and every money is good money. So you start to, to bring the money in and then you realize not ah, every dollar is equal because this yeah. $1 gives me 10 times more work than this other dollar. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to pay rent and keep it open. And I kind of feel like that's a stage that most companies go through. And then you realize, oh, I can't do that. You know, like, and the more, mature, the more mature you are, the more select you become to who you serve. Yeah. And you see that with second time founders, third time founders, right? <laughs> They're definitely as a whole more clear on who the customer is and what the problem is more comfortable with saying no to some business. You know, we definitely did not say no to anybody in the beginning. And we, so we would win a customer. This is pre product that we're winning customers and then we're building for them, right? And for their use case. And then we go win another customer and we build for them and their use case. And it's different. 
than that first customer. And then we win third customer and their use case is different than the first two, but we're building for it, right? And we're accommodating anyways. So that, you know, that's, that's how we operated for the yeah. first, really the first year. Tell me a little bit more about where the company is today as far as size and, and how do you see the future for the company? Kind of like, what's your vision for this year? Where do you think you guys are going? Like how big, how fast, especially this year that we are going through kind of like a weird economy uh, scenario. Walk me through like where you are and where you're going. Yeah, we sell to sales teams primarily. That's sort of the tip of the spear. That's where we get into organizations. But so many of our customers have expanded from sales to customer success and then to internal meetings as well. And basically getting the entire company on Pickle where they're We've got a, several customers that they literally record every single meeting, whether it's customer facing or not, you know, and we're building a, a really robust library that's searchable and being able to categorize things and organize and, you know, and then move these out to different platforms and be able to collaborate and share and send pieces around. So the future of Pickle is being this conversation hub, this conversation OS or HQ for the entire company not just sales conversations. And we, from the beginning, we've never wanted to tell salespeople how to sell. I think that's a lot of our space is sort of sales insights, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And we've more been uh, productivity and collaboration focused. And that has lent us, this is why we are able to grow into all of the other organizations and team company. So, you know, we're going to keep working on that. And that's where we're going to be. We're going to be farther down that road in a year from now. And four months from now. Another thing that you chose that we talked about before, you also chose a platform, which is Zoom, and you guys did the integration. So do you guys, do you see you extending out to other platforms or how, how do you see that the future? Uh, we, right before this meeting, we onboarded our first customer to Google Meets integration. Nice. So we have not officially beta, beta launched uh, Google Meets connection, but it's been a while coming where uh, Junior is our one mm -hmm. account executive. We've made him say no to a lot of business uh, that is not Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. So Meets and Teams being the other big video conferencing mm -hmm. players. We've said, hey, we blinders on. We are only Zoom. Zoom, mm -hmm. we're going to make this integration perfect. We're gonna, it's going to be super robust. We're going to live inside of the Zoom window. There's a lot of functionality inside of Zoom. And we've been this way since beginning of, we made this decision early 20, like January 1st, 2021. Basically. So what is that? 20, this is two years, two years of only Zoom. At this point now, we're starting to very, little, open up a little bit and we're going to do Google Meets. In the meantime, we, we built some CRM integrations and other places to move, disseminate Slack, right? Mm -hmm. But Zoom was the only place that we're ingesting data from. We're, now we're going to start ingesting from Google Meets. I don't think we're going to like really open up and start building every integration still, sort of perfect these nail it scale it kind of a kind of a thing i think this is very very smart strategy nail and then scale it like you said yeah. like you spend enough time in one place so you know sometimes people we, we might be worried about oh but there is like a platform risk if i'm staying only here but first you have to make sure that even stay in business but sometimes you're trying to solve problems that we don't have yet yeah. And that's it's hard for sometimes for figure out. So that's an amazing sight of how you guys are are thinking about building the product in the future. Oh, thank you very much for your time in the show. It's it's been fun to learn about your company and about your success. 
the final question I would like to ask you is if you have a book they recommend oh. for every founder. Ah, this is tough. I actually, since starting Pickle, I really got into reading. So I actually don't watch <laughs> TV really like uh funny because everybody else in the company is always talking about all these shows, White Lotus and all this stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. So I've been reading a ton. If I had to pick one, I would maybe say Atomic Habits has been really big for me and identity-based habits, right? And like taking on this persona and using that sort of method and methodology to accomplish things and understanding the impact of how we think about things mindset when we're mm -hmm. thinking about our goals. You know, it's, you know, the classic atomic habits example is, you know, if you're trying to quit smoking, you don't say I don't smoke, you say I'm not a smoker. And that's mm -hmm. there's, it's very different when you think about mm -hmm. I don't do this, or I am this, right? So that's been huge. I love essentialism as well. We talked about album BC a little bit pre show, mm -hmm. right? And Diogo, mm -hmm. Diogo introduced essentialism to Birch and I, and that has been great as far as, you know, you know, learning to say no, learning to be smart with time and, and not stretch yourself too thin. The, those oh, two. those are habits. both, those are both amazing books. I, I think I read Atomic Habits like four times. Yeah. It, it's just such a good book and essentialism is an amazing book too. So much and, to learn. Yeah. At, at the same time, recently I've been getting more into uh, out of the business books and doing more nonfiction. That's that's actually helped a lot uh, as a way to unwind. But anyway, mm -hmm. if yeah. I was going to one, it would or two, I would have to say Atomic Habits, Essentialism. Yeah, th those books are amazing for sure. Again, thank you very much for your time. If you want to follow you, learn more about what you guys are doing, what's the best way to do? LinkedIn. For sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. Come on our endless blocker. Pickle is under Pickle AI. If you want to get to our website, it's pickleai.com or pickle.ai. But uh, link, we're very active on LinkedIn. Uh, we're especially if anybody is listening to this, they're in sales. We we're geared towards salespeople, sales teams, especially with the content that we're putting out on LinkedIn. So some good memes and some good gifts and. There's uh, some really actionable stuff as well, but that's that's going to be the best place to get to us. That's, that's awesome. Again, thank you very much for your time. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.